0: We'll read down to verse 7. John chapter 20, verses 3 through 7, the Word of God says, Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went, into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, verse 7, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of this, and thank you for the perfect details in the Word of God. You gave us every detail that we need. Every jot and every tittle's in the right place. I pray tonight you'd help us to learn this important truth and then strive through thy power to implement it into our character so we can form the character of Christ. Give me the words to say and give us a heart to want to leave this place and be like thee. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Our text gives us a peek into the empty tomb on resurrection morning. It was a practice of the Jews. Once a loved one died, they would anoint the body with spices. They would wrap it with linen, and then they would place a napkin over the face. If you would, hold your place here and just turn back a chapter. Uh, John chapter 19 And verse 38, you see, when Joseph of Arimathea came and he begged the body of Jesus after Jesus had passed, let's read verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. Verse 39, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. And so this is the same Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that heard the one-man sermon, You must be born again. So clearly Joseph and Nicodemus knew each other, and apparently they were both believers in Christ, but secretly, uh, for fear of the Jews, we know at least Nicodemus was uh, one of the Pharisees, and so uh, they were high-level in in the Jewish religion, but believers in Christ. But whenever Jesus died, they came out of the closet, so to speak. They said, we can't hide this anymore. And they went to beg the body of Jesus, took the body of Christ down off the cross, and prepared his body for burial. And so let's finish reading here in verse 39. Uh, Nicodemus came by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. And so the the Egyptians would embalm a body. The Jews would simply anoint it with uh, perfumed oils and then wrap the body and, and place it in the tomb. But they had this habit of putting a napkin over the face. Kind of like if, you, if you've ever seen a, a TV show or, or been around someone who's passed, if they die with their eyes open, oftentimes they'll close the eyes, they'll put something over the face. Just a way to, to show deference and uh, uh, honor the body of the loved one. And so this is what they would do. They would put the napkin over the face. But we find here in John chapter 20, our text that we read, when Peter and John come to the, they run to the sepulcher, the empty tomb, after they hear that Jesus' body's gone, they're running there. John outruns Peter. But he gets there and he stoops down and looking in, he sees the linen clothes lying, so the, the body that had been wrapped the clothes that had wrapped the body they were lying but the bible gives an interesting verse in verse 7 and the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes but wrapped together in a place by itself and so this is what they saw imagine you you peek into this empty tomb and you don't just see the body of Jesus missing you see that the the linen that he was wrapped in is still there. So someone didn't just remove the body, they took the time to unwrap the body. But the napkin, the napkin was striking because someone had taken that napkin and didn't just throw it or drop it or lay it. They took the time to fold the napkin and place it there. What an interesting detail. You know, why would the Scripture, the eternal Word of God, include such a seemingly insignificant detail? And the reason, of course, as always, is because there's a lesson to be learned. There's a lesson that we can find in the folded napkin. I think there's two things we can learn. Number one is we learn the resurrection was planned and organized. It wasn't that someone broke into the tomb and hurriedly stole the body of Christ and the napkin fell off in the process. It wasn't the the story that was going to be told, the lies to cover up the, the Jewish treachery. No, what we find here in the empty tomb is composure, organization, neatness, deliberation this was a planned and organized resurrection now if you contrast that to john chapter 11 hold your place here and look at john chapter 11 and we see the the resurrection of <clears throat> john chapter 11 we see the resurrection of lazarus So John chapter 11, look at verse 43. And when he thus had spoken, he, Jesus, cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And verse 44 is astonishing. And he, that's Lazarus, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a what? Napkin. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. So imagine the the Bible says that he comes out and he's bound. So his body was wrapped tightly. He didn't have the ability, even though God gave him life again, he didn't have the ability to unwrap himself. So imagine him laying there and somehow he, he gets up and he's coming out and he's wrapped. And I don't know if he came out bouncing, you know, in bunny hops. Or I don't know, in my mind, they, they probably didn't wrap his feet all the way. In my mind, he's coming out like this. You know, he, he can't move. His face is covered. And he's coming out. And Jesus said, go, go loose him and let him go. What a tremendous miracle. But you see, Lazarus, this on Lazarus' part, this was not a planned and organized event. This was probably as, what is happening to me? <laughs> right? He gets resurrected and he's immediately trapped. And I imagine if Lazarus was like you and me, there was probably some desperation to try to get out from those tight grave clothes. But that's not what you see in the tomb of Christ. You know why? Because he's the Son of God. He said, I'm going to lay down my life, and I'm going to take it up again. And so unlike Lazarus, who was given his life back, Jesus took his life back. The same one who chose to give up the ghost. Jesus is the only person who's ever chosen to die and dismissed his spirit from his body. Think about that. But he's also the only person who ever took back control of his body in the resurrection. And when he did that, I can see Jesus in the tomb. There was no desperation, there was no confusion. You can see the grave clothes coming off. I see our Lord taking that napkin that had covered his dead face. And he took, think about this, he took the time to fold the napkin and lay it nicely. I think there's a second lesson for us to learn. And the lesson here is that Christ left the tomb better than he found it. He left the tomb clean and organized. You know, when that thought hit me, I began to study the life of Christ. Do you know Jesus always left a place better than he found it? Do you know that our Savior always left people better than he found them? Unless it was the Pharisees, because they would not surrender. He had to be harsh with them and give them hard truths. You know, Jesus always left people better than he found them. Do you know Jesus left the world better than he found it? And here's the simple lesson for tonight. We can leave the world better than we found it. We can leave... Situations better than we found them. We can fold our napkin, so to speak. What's the napkin? It's whatever the situation is. Whatever trial, situation, difficulty, relationship you find yourself in that is filled with chaos and confusion and disruption, you can take the time to fold your napkin and leave it better than you found it. The folded napkin displayed thoughtfulness. It displayed care and composure. Can I remind us tonight that God is organized? God is deliberate. 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, Let all things be done decently and what? In In order. Now we all know that verse... Let all things be done decently and in order. We know God is a God of order. But we also know that our corrupt world is a world of chaos and corruption. Do you know if you leave an apple out on the counter and don't do anything to it, it'll rot? If you leave your vehicle out in the weather for too many years, it'll rust? Even this old body, as we go along life, corruption moves in and the hair turns gray or turns loose and we get older. I'm always telling my kids I'm getting old and decrepit. You know, that's what my grandma used to say. I'm getting old and decrepit. And uh, that's, what, that's just what happens. The whole, this whole creation is spinning towards chaos and corruption and death. Have you noticed that the world's not getting better? It's getting worse. Why is that? Because everything is spinning towards destruction. As soon as the venom of sin infected this creation, the process of death began. And it's going to go all the way until God blows it all up and burns it away with fire. But that means in our world, in every relationship, in every situation, in every space, It is always moving towards chaos. It's always moving towards corruption. The rot will set in. And so, I believe God intends for us to be a positive agent for good. Can I ask you a question? Are you a positive agent for good? Do you deliberately... And by choice, bring order and good to your world. Or rather, are you a part of the chaos and discord? Jesus wasn't just the Savior of our souls. He left us the example of how to live. And in every situation, you find Jesus stepping into a situation, making it better. Bringing order, bringing life, healing. And that's what we should do. We must be a positive agent for good by choosing to bring order and good into the world through our words and our deeds. See, the only way we can affect change is through our words, what you say, and through our deeds. I wonder if we had a transcript of everything that came out of your mouth and my mouth over the last week. I wonder if we sit down and went over that transcript. I wonder how many times we would see that you and I actually contribute to the chaos. We cause disruption. Disruption. But I also wonder how many times you would see, and I would see, our words bringing life and hope and peace and joy. Our words matter, don't they? And then the only other way you can make a positive impact is through your actions. What we choose to do. There There are two main philosophies that reign today. Some people have the motto, it's not my problem. Do you know people like that? doesn't matter what it is, it's just not their problem. They may have even caused the problem, but it's not their problem. They take no ownership. They feel no responsibility to make any beneficial adjustment to their words, their deeds. They make no contribution to the solution. These are the not my problem people. And we all know them. And can I be honest? They're really not very helpful. And then on the other side, you have the, I'm the solution, people. I didn't cause the problem. It may not be my problem. But if I can help, I will. They take ownership. They take responsibility in situations that God allows them to bring order. Here's an important truth that I think spans a lot of different areas of life. If God allowed you to notice a need, He probably wants you to fill it. Think about that. If God allowed you to notice a need... He probably wants you to fill it. What we do is notice the need and complain that nobody's filling it. Right? Why is it somebody doing something? Well, probably because you're supposed to be doing something. I'm supposed to be doing something. But if we're not careful, we get the not my problem attitude. That's not my problem. No, we should have the I'll see if I can be part of the solution attitude. Here's another thought just by way of introduction. Who you are becoming is more important than inconvenience. Think about that. Who you are becoming is more important than inconvenience. So a lot of times we notice a need or we see a situation, but we don't get involved because it'd be inconvenient, sometimes even costly, But when you read the scripture, you find out that God doesn't want us to be the type of people that can see someone hurting and walk past. Isn't that the good Samaritan? The Levite walks past. The other walks past. But the Samaritan, the scourge of the earth according to the Jews, the dog walked by and said, I didn't cause this problem. I don't know this guy, but I've got to try to help. And that's the difference between whenever we decide to be a positive agent for change. God doesn't want us to be someone who can see someone being bullied or hurt that can't speak for themselves. He doesn't want us to be able to walk past that and not, not get involved. He doesn't want us to be the type of people that are so callous to the needs of others, that we can just walk by. You know, James says, if you see someone in desperate need, how dwelleth the love of God in you? How, how, how can you just pretend like it's not happening? Because every time we choose to not be involved or make a decision for good, and every time we choose to walk past, we are forming our character And how many times do you think it takes to ignore it before you no longer notice it? Proverbs says if you see someone that's getting bullied in today's vernacular, step in and help them. It really bothers me when you see these videos now, they'll pop up on the news and somebody's getting beat up, and they'll have like 14 people standing back with cameras watching. Just recently a guy was beating up a police officer and the police officer trying to keep the rules. He wasn't putting him in a headlock. It's illegal in New York for a police officer to put a guy in a headlock. It's illegal for him to grab him around the throat. It's illegal for a police officer to punch a thug. And so he's trying to grab this, this thug who, by the way, we found out had already just been arrested for something else and let go. This police officer's trying to wrestle this guy to the ground while obeying the ridiculous rules placed upon him because he doesn't want to get prosecuted or lose his job. And over and over, this guy starts to get away and punches a police officer and punches a police officer. There's just people standing around watching. I'd have a hard time standing by watching that happen. And I want to be the kind of guy that would have a hard time. Years ago, someone sent me a, a video, and it, it's this... It was like five minutes long, I couldn't even watch it, of these three girls beating up another girl in a McDonald's. And they went and got the, mess, the, the manager, and he comes out, and they wouldn't stop, so he leaves. And the whole time, for like, for like all this five minutes, there's people all around videoing it. And then they call the police, and they're waiting on the police to come. And meanwhile, they're punching this girl and kicking this girl. Literally on the video, you could see handfuls of hair being ripped out of her head. And people are standing by watching I don't want to be the kind of person that can stand by and watch that happen. But neither do I want to be the kind of person that can walk by a piece of paper on the floor, a piece of trash on the floor and say, not my problem. I don't want to be the kind of person that can walk by a mess that would take a second to clean up and be like, not my problem. You see what I'm saying? Every every day we make decisions that are not just decisions of convenience or inconvenience. They are forming who we are. They're becoming a part of our nature. And if we're going to be like Christ, a, a deliberate good in this world, then we must realize that who we're becoming is more important than inconvenience. Every time we do the right thing, we become more like Jesus. We talk a lot about being like Jesus. Oh, I want to be like Jesus. More like the Savior. And then we don't do what Jesus would do. Do you know how you be like Jesus? You be like Jesus. (laughs) You do what Jesus would do. So every time that we choose to do the good we're becoming more like Jesus. And you know, if you do that for a week, you may not see that much of a difference. But do it for six months. Do it for a year. Do it for a lifetime. And you'll be unrecognizable to the person you used to be. It's not the great decisions in short periods of time that make people great. It's the small decisions over long periods of time that make people great. And we can all make the good decision, the small decisions. And every time we do. Acts 10:38 says that Jesus went about doing good. You know, you and I could go about doing good. You know, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 talk about that if we will. Whether it's working or doing right with goodwill service as to the Lord, not unto men, the same shall receive of the Lord. Do you know God keeps track? And even if nobody else sees the good you're doing, if nobody else notices the inconvenience or what it costs you or the, the little things you do every day to try to be like Jesus and, and affect positive change, God sees it and He will reward you. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Let me give you a few quick thoughts and we'll be done. Number one, you can write these down. We're talking about fold your napkin. Number one, leave a place cleaner than you found it. It's so simple, isn't it? Leave a place cleaner than you found it. Jesus in the tomb. He's resurrected. He's in the tomb. He takes time to fold his napkin. Did you know there's some people that just throw trash on the ground? I don't want to be the kind of person that can just throw trash on the ground. That's not who I want to be. I don't want to be the kind of person that can throw trash out the window driving down the road. That's not who I want to be. You know, you've ever been in a place and you're, especially a public place, and you accidentally touch under the table or under the gum, and what do you find? You find gum. You're under the table. You act, you pick up the chair to move it, and you're, uh, who are these people that chew gum and then just stick it in random public places? Now, if it's any of you, you need to come up to the altar here after church, Brother Ken. I'm looking at you. You need to come up here. I don't want to be the kind of person that can chew a piece of gum and just stick it some random place. You say it's not that big of a deal. But you do it once, you do it twice, The piece of gum turns into a wrapper, you get a mint from the office and you put it in your mouth and throw the wrapper on the floor. Next thing you know, you've built that character. You don't want to be that person. The old timers used to say, cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, they didn't say that because it's in the Bible, but it is a biblical principle can you imagine seeing the throne room of heaven and the angels are all disheveled and the, the saints haven't combed their hair and the trash bag over in the corner of the throne room is overflowing because no one would take it out and the, the, the floor of the throne room hadn't been swept and, and it's just like, what, what, you know, there's dust everywhere. Now, we know clearly all that's not going to happen, right? We won't have to dust in heaven. But I'm just saying we, we instinctively know that heaven's not going to be that way. Why? It's perfect. Because perfection equals order and cleanliness. And God does things decently and in order. Cleanliness is next to godliness. And so we should strive to leave a place cleaner than we found it. No one should have to command you or beg you to be clean and neat. Do you know that children should clean their room without being told eventually? Eventually? Children should clean their room without being told. At what point, sir, do you want to be the kind of man that knows how to make his space better than he found it. Do you know that no parent should have to beg the children to do dishes? No husband should have to beg the wife to do dishes. No wife should have to beg the husband to do dishes. Somebody has to say, this Mount Vesuvius over here of unclean dishes needs to be done well i didn't do it oh that's that's not my problem people i didn't make all those dirty no but you know how to clean them sometimes we have you know as children are young have you ever had your children complain about doing a job longer that would have taken them just to do the job (laughs) we've all had that do you know some adults still do that? Some adults work harder to get out of work than it would just be to do the work. And you've got to decide that's not the kind of person I want to be. Leave a place cleaner than you found it. No one should have to beg you to take out the trash. Oh, it's not my job. Well, Whoever's job it is, if you have chores divvied up, take ownership of it. No one should have to beg you. You know, if you're, if you're walking through the floor and it's crunching under your feet, someone might want to grab a vacuum or a broom. Trash on the floor. You know, I try to, and I'm not perfect at it, but I try to. If I ever see trash on the floor in the church, I always try to stop by and pick it up. You know Why? Because I want to be the kind of person that can't walk by a piece of trash on God's floor. I'll tell you, even a public restroom or the restroom. If I go into a a restroom and it's dirty or, or things are, I always try to take a second and make it cleaner than I found it. You know why? The person walking in after you might think you made the mess. But the other reason is somebody's got to do it. Now, I have been in a few public restrooms where you walk in and you turn around and walk out and like call the hazmat team. There have been those. It's a very simple thing leave a place cleaner than you found it. Next, if you're writing these down, leave people stronger for being with you. Don't be an emotional vampire. Don't suck the life out of people. Be an encourager. Be a cheerleader. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. But then we often look over the rest of the verse, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Do you know what goes around comes around? Do you know if you will encourage people, then others, that encouragement will eventually come back to you? But do you know that whatever you give to other people, that will eventually come back to you? Judge not that you be not judged. You know, if you're judgmental, it's going to come back on you. God's prepared uh, the stripes for the scorners. Surely He will scorn the scorners. You know, if you're a scorner, you know what's going to come back to you? Scorn. You know, if you're merciful, you know what's going to come back to you? Mercy. And so we always want to leave people stronger than we found them. Let me say lastly, Leave a legacy of meaningful contribution. I said, number one, leave a place cleaner than you found it. Number two, leave people stronger for being with you. Be an encourager, a cheerleader. But number three, leave a legacy of meaningful contribution. And you understand the scriptures that all of us should be hard workers, and I'm not dismissing work at all. But do you know no one on their deathbed is thinking about their secular job? No one on their deathbed is thinking, I wish I would have worked more overtime. I wish I would have risen higher up in the company. I wish my 401k had been a little bigger. Now you have to work and you have to do what you have to do. But oftentimes we get so involved in the work that we forget to do the meaningful things. How about building a loving marriage that lasts a lifetime? Mom and dad married 52 years. What a blessing. And some of you have been married that long and others of you are on your way. But do you know it matters? When your loved one one day will be in a casket, it will matter that you stayed together? The, the, the little fights, the, the disagreements, the things that came up, all the reasons it seemed so big years ago, whenever you're standing by that casket, it will matter that I kept my vows, I stayed together. That's something we're striving for, isn't it? How about raising godly and competent children? That matters. That matters. Don't just feed them and clothe them. Make them into to competent human beings. Try to teach them the best you can to love Jesus. What about winning souls? Teach a Sunday school class. <clears throat> Get involved in church ministry. Mentor a young person. How about building something that matters? Build a bus route. I mean, whatever happened to just taking a piece of ground or claiming a geography for Christ and saying, by the grace of God, I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to build a bus route in this area. I wouldn't be standing here if Bo Eichelman, who worked at Otis Elevator, he was a machinist who got a burden for God, and he said, I "I believe God wants me to run a bus route. I'm going to go out and reach children for Jesus. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't ordained. He never went to Bible college. He was just like you. But he said, I want to do something that matters. How about building a Sunday school class? Don't just teach it, build it. Take ownership and say, I'm going to go find kids. I'm going to go find adults. I'm going to, I'm going to build something that matters. How about helping grow a church? Don't just attend a church. Folks, you got to understand, in these last days, it is life and death, and churches are dying. It is no longer enough to put on your church clothes and go sit in a pew one, two, three times a week. Everybody needs to be involved. What can I do that matters? How can I get there? Dad used to get to church so early just in case the preacher needed anything. Well, I brought tears to my eyes. And that we have a few people that do that. But so many Christians come at the last minute. They leave right away. They're not involved. It's no longer enough to attend church. We need to be a vital part of it. How about building a business? You know, it's a godly thing if you can build a business for the glory of God and Use that extra money to finance the things of God. Jesus folded the napkin. Takes time, commitment, but it's worth it. We can start in just these three simple areas. Leave a place cleaner than you found it. Leave people stronger for being with you. Leave a legacy of meaningful contribution. There has never been a life so meaningful as that that is Jesus Christ. And we can look at the cross and the empty tomb, but I think we can also go back to that little folded napkin and say it wasn't just the big moments that made Jesus the perfect Son of God. It was all the little things And it's not just the big things that make you or I a good Christian or someone that's making a difference. It's all the little things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. Help us to rise up to the big occasions, but Lord, help us to be willing to do the small things every day. All the small things that make a difference. And help us to be more like you. Lord, I've got some areas that I need to organize. I've got some things that I need to to focus on and commit to, and I'm sure we all would. I pray that we would seek to have the character of Christ.